0: Great, good morning. Please do uh, keep that passage open, that would be great. Uh, We're starting a new series today in uh, looking at shadows uh, of the cross. Uh, And this is the first in that series, looking at shadows of the cross in the Old Testament. So that would be great if you keep it open, Genesis 22. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do thank you that all uh, scripture is is God-breathed. And Lord God, we pray that this morning you would speak... Uh, to us through these uh, words, by your spirit, uh, that you'd move our hearts and minds uh, to be drawn to Jesus Christ, we pray, in his name, we pray this, amen. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that we find something very moving about human um, self-sacrifice, Uh, Whether it be a theme that features in so many Hollywood films through to Remembrance Day, it is something that really kind of cuts to the the human heart. It's interesting, this week Donald Trump gave his inaugural address to uh, the US Congress, uh, and amongst the usual bombast and blunt rhetoric, there was uh, an unexpected, a strikingly emotional and moving moment where he paid tributes to a US Navy SEAL who had uh, died in duty, his wife in the gallery, a man who'd given his life in the service of others. And I think for that one moment, if only that one moment, there was some sense of unity across Congress, and you could sort of sense that through uh, the TV screens as well. Human self-sacrifice, it moves us. Well, well, the passage we've got this morning is all about uh, self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love. It shows us that self-sacrificial love, it lies at the heart of the character of God. Self-sacrificial love lies at the heart of the entry uh, into Christian faith. And self-sacrificial love lies at the heart of true Christian discipleship. Just two questions this morning. Is God good? Is God good? And is God able. First question, is God good? I think it's fair to say that you don't really get a more challenging verse than verse 2 of this passage. <laughs> Look at verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This seems to be a horrific, a perplexing uh, command. God asks something that appears utterly barbaric. He asks something that he expressly forbids elsewhere in the Bible. And God does it knowing full well that he will provide anyway. He'll provide a way out. Is God good? Sure, you know, God swaps in a ram, uh, seemingly in the nick of time, but what about the impact uh, on Abraham? What about what Isaac's had to endure? And uh, What about the trauma, the psychological impact, the breach of trust, social services? They're going to be interested in, in this sort of case. Is God good? Well, well, God takes Abraham to the edge, to a position of extreme testing to show him something important. It's often that way, isn't it? An athlete, so I'm told, uh, they don't know what's in them until they are taken to the edge of, of their endurance. God takes Abraham to the edge to show him something about his character, that he is good. God is good. The cost to Abraham is, is clear, isn't it, in this passage, we see, don't we, in verse 3, he gets up early the next, next morning, and no doubt after a restless night, not much sleep, he saddles his donkey, takes two of his servants with him, his son Isaac, he goes to cut fire for the sacrifice, probably with some you know, blunt medieval-type instrument, pre-medieval. Then he sets off. It's a long trek, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in a distance. You can picture the scene, can't you? The the, the three stomach-churning days of walking, thinking, dwelling. But he's still not there. There's a mountain on the horizon. A picture that every hill walker would know the feeling of. So he says to his servants, who have probably had quite enough by this point, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So we have, don't we, this really poignant, I think, picture of Abraham and Isaac continuing uh, the journey alone, pressing on together to the mountain, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried himself, he himself carried the fire and knife. And the two of them went on together. Then we have, don't we, this heartbreaking, kind of wrenching uh, question from Isaac. That, That simple straightforward question that children are so good at asking. Father, yes my son, Abraham replies. The fire and the wood are here Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We're going all this way, but where is the sacrifice? What a tough question. Difficult question for Abraham to be asked. The cost is clear. But as well as the cost, did you notice uh, the provision? The provision in this passage. Abraham is confident, isn't he, about God's goodness? Do you see that in verse 8? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on. Together. Abraham knows, he knows that God will provide. And when eventually they reach the place, the narrative of the text kind of slows down. It almost goes to sort of super slow motion, frame by frame, uh, through this, this part. Verse 9 Abraham built an altar there and arranged a wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replies. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Of course, there's a ram In the thicket, which Abraham sacrifices instead of his son Isaac. God provides. Abraham is taken by God to the edge. He's taken to the point of extremity for God to show him that he is good. God is good. I remember as a nine year old studying the Aztecs. It's kind of one of the things that formed my love of history. The Aztec, I think, that sort of South American tribal people were, were gruesome experts at sacrifice, human uh, sacrifice. Like, like many people, they believed that they owed a blood debt to the gods, and that they had to keep God happy and avert disaster by sacrificing humans. Twenty thousand people a year, it is estimated, they sacrificed, with, with blood literally flowing uh, down Aztec temple. Steps. You know, God will never, will never ask any person, of any person, something so grotesque as the sacrifice of a child. God will never ask us to give human life. In fact, God will never ask us to do anything in order to appease Him, to to pay a debt. Uh, to change his mood, to, to somehow atone for our sin. That is not how it works. God is good. So do you notice how the text emphasizes how Isaac is the son? Did you pick that up as, as we read through it? Verse 2, take your son, your only son whom you love. Verse 3, his son. Verse 6, his son. Verse 7, my son. Verse 9, his son. Verse 10, his son. Verse 12, your son, your only son. Verse 13, his son. Verse 15, your son, your only son. The writer could just have made the son point once and then called him Isaac. But the point is drilled home for us Isaac is the son. I think there's also a sense in this passage of the willingness uh, of of Isaac. I think that's being drawn to our attention uh, here. Did did you notice the the words in verses 6 and 8? The the phrase that kind of bookends the poignant question that that Isaac asks. The two of them went on together. That's verse 6, again verse 8. And the two of them went on together. Abraham and Isaac, together, they, they press on. Isaac goes willingly uh, with his father. Moriah was the place of sacrifice. It is a place uh, where the temple was built, at two chronicles. The temple was the place of sacrifice. A burnt offering... That is spoken about here is a sacrifice of atonement for sin, Leviscus 1. Here is Isaac, the son, the son who goes willingly with his father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is good. God provides. At the cross, God is prepared to go through with the terrible thing that he asks Abraham to do here. God is prepared to go that distance. As Jesus kneels to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is willing. God does what he has not and will not ever ask of us in order to provide for his people. An authentic Christian life surely is a life of self-sacrifice, but God never asks us to do something to placate him to twist his arm, to appease him, to change his mood, to make him love us more. He's provided the sin sacrifice that means his favour rests on his people. So often we just don't get that, do we? We believe we can earn more of God's favour. He will love us more. If we do this, we do that. We give this, whatever it may be. It's not about trying harder. Nothing we do will make God love us any more. And nothing we do can make God love us any less. One of the great modern films, I think, is Les Miserables, based on the uh, Victor Hugo novel. I'm sure many of you are familiar uh, with the film. And as the story begins, the main character, uh, Jean Valjean, is released uh, from prison, But he can't make a new life. His conviction keeps following him uh, around. He can't can't start over. So in despair, he he turns to a life of petty crime. Uh, But in a pivotal scene uh, in the book and, and the film, a bishop, a kind bishop, takes him in, opens his home, gives him food and shelter. What does Valjean do that night? He goes around the place rounding up all the silver he can find and then runs, runs off with it. Please capture him, bring him back to the bishop a day or two later. What does the bishop do? What does the bishop do? He denies the charges against Valjean. He insists that the silver was a gift that he gave. And then he gives Valjean the two most valuable candlesticks that he hadn't taken as a gift. Valjean deserves condemnation, but he receives outrageous, abundant, over-the-top grace, and it transforms his life. That is the pivotal moment in that story. This is love, not that we loved God, But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God has done everything, everything necessary, for you and I to live in his favour, to make us a royal priesthood. Through Jesus, we can belong to God. The Lord has provided. God is good. Is God able? Second question. Just remember that Isaac, he is the ultimate miracle baby. Okay. He is the child uh, of promise. Abraham was over a hundred uh, when Isaac was born, his mother Sarah over ninety. There aren't going to be any more babies where this baby came from, you would think. God has promised Abraham uh, that he will have offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust. His offspring could be counted. That's a lot of people. How will that happen? How will God accomplish his promise to Abraham of this vast nation of descendants if his only son is to be sacrificed? Well, I think there's a sense in this text that Abraham knew. Abraham knew that God would accomplish his purpose through the sacrifice and resurrection somehow of Isaac. Abraham knew somehow that God had it sorted. If God, if God will have people as numerous as the stars in the sky and great as sands on the seashore, verse 17, he will have them as he provides a sacrifice for sin that enables life beyond the grave. Just look at verse 5. Verse 5, Abraham says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. See the plural? We will come back to you. Abraham seems convinced that even if he has to sacrifice Isaac as a sin offering, Isaac will be raised by God. God. That's certainly how the writer to the Hebrews interpreted this passage in Hebrews 11. What does the writer there say? Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. God is able to do what he has promised. Same is true in verse 8, isn't it? If you look at verse 8, in the answer to that heart-wrenching question, Where is the lamb, the the lamb for the offering? What does Abraham say, verse 8? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham believes, Abraham knows that God will provide. And God does provide. Verse 13, a ram in the thicket. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. How will God have for himself a people out of all of the nations of the earth, this vast multitude from every nation, for that heavenly place? How will it happen? It will happen as God makes provision of a sacrifice for sin. On the Mount of Crucifixion, a stone's throw from Moriah. A sacrifice which enables people to be set free from his just judgment into his favor. You know, a ram is not going to be good enough. A curly-horned sheep is not going to do the job. Ultimately, in Jesus, God himself, in his goodness and his love provides his son as a sacrifice for sin. So every, every Christian man and woman can say, I belong to God. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm one of that vast multitude. Because the Lord has provided a sin sacrifice who died in my place, the Lord Jesus. The shadow of the cross, it is cast over this passage just as Abraham set his face for the mountain, what does Jesus do? He sets his face for Jerusalem. Just as Isaac had the wood of sacrifice placed on him as he walked to the mountain, verse 6, so Jesus had the cross on his shoulders. Just as a ram took the place of Isaac, carrying God's wrath and judgment at human sin. So Jesus took your place and mine. God is good. God is good. God is able. Have you registered that? Have you taken that deep into your heart? Last summer I read part of the biography of John Stott by Timothy Dudley Smith. Stott was As many of us know, one of the great Christian writers and leaders of the 20th century. And he wrote this about his conversion experience. He said this. If there was a God, I was estranged from him. I tried to find him, but he seemed to be enveloped in a fog I could not penetrate. I was defeated. I knew what kind of person I was and also the kind of person I longed to be. Between the ideal and the reality, there was a great gulf. I had high ideals, but a weak will. What brought me to Christ was the sense of defeat and estrangement, and the astonishing news that the historic Christ offered to meet the very needs of which I was conscious. God is good, God is able he's able to have you even you with all your past with everything that you know about yourself that he knows about you god can have you he is prepared to go the full distance for his people he gives his own son willingly to die on the cross such is his love for us well well what about you abraham was willing wasn't he? Verse 1. Abraham, here I am, uh, he replied. Selfless sacrifice is the hallmark uh, of God. Selfless sacrifice is the heart, isn't it, of God. We don't have to do anything to earn God's favour. That's not what it's about. But, but as those who are forgiven, we're called, aren't we, to, to walk after the character of God, to have uh, the DNA of Christ, to put uh, sin to death, to trust him. It's not a one-off call. It's not a one-off affair. It's not a call for the super-Christian or the church leader. It's the call of each and every Christian, the experience of each and every believer. Abraham, he is, isn't he, the supreme man uh, of faith. But Jesus, he is the ultimate uh, man of faith. He walked the way of sacrifice uh, to the cross. He didn't waver so that from that sacrifice a great multitude uh, could be brought into relationship with God. So the Christian disciple is, is asked, called to take up uh, his or her cross daily and to follow Jesus. Follow the Lord Jesus on the path of sacrifice. So how are we spending the best, the best days and best hours of our lives? I think it's not always the big decisions, is it? It's not always the obvious decisions of where, where do we live, who do we marry, what job do we do, do we go to China? It might be those things. But surely it's the daily decisions uh, for many of us, the, the, the kind of countless acts uh, of self-sacrifice daily, how we spend our money battling with the sin uh, on a daily basis, putting our reputation uh, on the line when it matters, giving, giving something that will echo uh, in eternity. Are we willing, is the question, to make Jesus and his service uh, our number one priority will we trust god uh, like abraham at, at that deepest moment is god more precious to us than our most precious dream surely this passage shows us doesn't it that as we as we go to the place of sacrifice with whatever dream uh, whatever dream we have god provides god provides he provides more abundantly than we could ever imagine. God is good. God is able. Are we willing? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this, uh, this passage. Uh, Lord, we praise you that you are a good God. You are an able uh, God. You know us more intimately than anyone else, that you love us uh, more than we could ever dream. And Lord, we praise you for the cross, the, that place supremely where uh, you demonstrated your love for us. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his provision as a sacrifice for our sin. And Lord God, we pray that we, we might be people uh, as Christians who would follow after uh, Jesus Christ, Lord, that we'd understand something uh, of what it means to follow you, uh, to live a life uh, that is self-sacrificial, that has the DNA of Christ. Lord, we ask that for this week uh, and uh, the months and years ahead, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.